0: Ever said, I, I just can't seem to get it done. I just need more time to finish. Anybody? Okay. Some of you have. That's great. Got a good message for about 12 of you today. Appreciate that. <laughs> the rest of you feel free to talk among yourselves. Uh, but really the world is finished or filled with unfinished projects and unfinished dreams. Uh, my family last year, we did a, a vacation, kind of a bucket list trip, and we went to the Mount Rushmore. Never been there before. And uh, one of the things that impressed me about it was it's unfinished. Uh, you know, the guy worked on it most of his life and then died, ran out of money and then died. Son tried to work on it for a few months, but one of our great monuments is unfinished. And I hate to break it to you, but you know, you're not going to get it all done. Only one person in all of human history finished everything that he needed to do before he died. And his name was Jesus Christ. His entire life had one overarching goal. John 4, 34, I must finish the work that God gave me to do. And fortunately for you and for me, he finished it. John 19, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. After Jesus was given a drink, he said, "It is finished." And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's important to note there that he gave it up voluntarily. They didn't take it from him; he gave it up because he was done. He was finished. And he didn't just say, "It is finished." He shouted, "It is finished." It's it's a word of victory probably the three most important words in human history. And when Jesus shouted, it is finished, the Roman soldiers probably thought, well, that's right, we're finished with this rabble rouser. When Jesus shouted, it is finished, Pontius Pilate thought, that's right, that's great, this political upheaval, my political headaches are finished. When the religious leaders heard him say, it is finished, they're thinking that we've eliminated our competition When the disciples heard, it is finished, they thought, our our dream of the kingdom of God on earth, it's dead, it's finished, it's over. Even the devil misunderstood this. When Jesus said, it is finished, Satan thought, I've won, I have killed God, his son of God, he's finished. But Jesus did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And what Jesus was saying on the cross, it is finished. He's talking about five very specific benefits for your life. In the English, the phrase, it is finished, is three words. But in the, the Greek, the language of the New Testament, written in it, it's just one word. It's the word die." And tetelestai was a very common word in, uh, in Greek culture. And it had five major uses. A servant would use tetelestai to communicate to his master that he had completed his assignments and finished his chores. He would come into the master's presence and announce tetelestai, which meant, I have finished everything you've told me to do. That's how a servant would use the word. A judge would use it as a judicial term. Someone would come in, they'd finish serving their sentence or they had paid their fine and the judge would bang the gavel and announce tetelestai, which meant justice has been served. You've served your time, you've paid your fine, you're free to go accountants would use it as a business term it it meant paid in full in fact they would make these big stamps that said to tell and they would stamp documents archaeologists have found tons of uh, ancient uh, papyri manuscripts tax receipts business receipts and they've got this stamp on them that says to tell which means you don't owe any more money on this it's paid in full the word was used by artists when they completed a painting. The final brush stroke, the artist would announce, tetelestai. means all the details are there, all the strokes are there, it, it, there's nothing else to do, this is completed. The word was used by the priest in the Jewish temple. When the priest offered an animal sacrifice, he would say tetelestai, which meant the sacrifice has been complete. The sacrifice has been made. Every one of those five ways that this word is used, Jesus was using it in that way on the cross when he shouts to die. So what did Jesus finish on the cross? What did he accomplish? Write these five things down on your notes. Number one, he fulfilled what God has promised us. For hundreds of years, God had been promising a Savior in the Bible. God said, here's how you'll know who the Messiah, who the Savior is. And he gave over 380 prophecies about the Savior. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he had fulfilled every promise, every prediction, every prophecy. Luke 24, this is after the cross, this is after the resurrection. Jesus has been crucified, buried for three days, and a week later he's walking down the road talking to some people. I mean, ponder that for a minute. All the predictions, all the prophecies about what what he would do, what he would say, where he'd be born, how he would die. Jesus fulfilled all the promises that God had given in his word. Right up to his very last moments on the cross. 2 Corinthians 1.20 All of God's promises have been fulfilled in him. That's Jesus. That's why we say amen when we give glory to God through Christ. Because he fulfilled all God's promises. Second thing. He satisfied what God's justice required. God is a God of justice, of truth, righteousness, holiness. God always does what's right. God never does anything wrong. God is a God of order. God is a God of laws. The only reason the universe works is because God wired it up with laws that, that make it work the laws of physics, the laws of astronomy, the laws of chemistry, law of gravity. And what if the law of gravity only worked part of the time? What if it just worked every other day or something? I mean, one day everything's sagging, the next day everything's... You know, man what would that be like? I wish the law of gravity worked in relation to your age so that the older you get, things don't fall as far so it's easy to reach down and pick them up. Because I'm at the point where I drop things, I really consider, do I even need that in my life anymore? (laughs) Or can I just get another one at the store where it's on a shelf where it's right here and I can, I can use it? I mean, that's just where I'm at. But, but God designed the entire universe to work according to his laws. Physical laws, spiritual laws, relational laws, moral laws. God is a God of justice. He's a God of law. And God gave the moral laws to Moses and to the nation of Israel, to the Jews. And the Jews were to pass on the moral law of God to everyone else. You've heard the phrase, the Jews are the chosen people. Well, they are. What were they chosen to do? They were chosen to receive God's word and pass that word on to everyone else. Now, you and I have a problem when it comes to the moral law of God. And the problem is we're unable to keep it. Just because of our broken, sinful nature, we just can't keep it. Romans 8 says the law of Moses could not save us. It didn't work because of our sinful nature. Nothing wrong with the law. It's our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us. Jesus Christ is the only person who's ever lived perfectly according to the law. And and so the first problem we have is is we, we are unable, because of our sinful nature, to keep God's moral law. And the second problem that we have is is that justice demands that lawbreakers pay the consequences for breaking the law. If there aren't consequences for breaking the law, you really don't even have a law. God set it up so we're free to do anything we want to do in this world. God gives you the freedom to do anything you want to do in this world. But you are not free from the consequences every kick has a kick back there's a consequence and justice demands that lawbreakers like you and me pay a penalty God is a just God he's also a loving God and so God sent Jesus to do for us what God's justice and law required after Jesus had finished his work He became the source of eternal salvation for everyone who obeys him. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your culture is. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Doesn't matter what sins you've committed. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Romans 10, 14, Christ ended the law so that everyone who believes in him may be right with God. We are not made right with God by keeping the ceremonial law in the scripture now that that, that's the difference you know that people say it well so if when christ died on the cross the end of the law does that mean i don't have to keep the ten commandments anymore no that is not what it means and and you need to listen closely to this because the world gets this wrong all the time there are three kinds of law in the bible there are legal laws for the nation of israel there are ceremonial laws for the worship of Israel. And there are moral laws that apply to all of humankind. Okay? So it, there are legal laws in the Old Testament for how the nation of Israel was going to operate. You're not obligated to fulfill those legal laws because you aren't living in a theocracy of God in Israel. There, there are ceremonial laws in the Bible, about the worship in the temple. There are laws for hygiene, laws for health, laws for diet, laws for the way you worship in the temple. And you're not obligated to keep the ceremonial law that's given in here because you're not an Israeli worshiping at the temple. God ended that system. That's the law that it's talking about, that Christ ended on the cross, the ceremonial law. But the moral laws are still in effect. The moral laws apply to everyone. You can't murder, you can't steal, you can't lie, you can't commit adultery. Those laws are always in effect. Now people will will come to the Bible and they'll pull out some law, they'll quote some ceremonial law or some national law that doesn't apply to anybody and say, see, the Bible's just a bunch of nonsense, so we don't have to obey the moral law either. No. It's the moral law that we're supposed to keep. Jesus ended the old ceremonial system and satisfied what God's justice required. So we're not obligated there. But the moral law, everybody's got to keep that. Third thing he did, he paid off the debt that I owed God. You have a lot of debt in your life. And not just financial debt. You owe a debt to everyone you've ever hurt, everyone you've ever lied to, everyone you've ever gossiped about, everyone you've ever stolen from. Every time you've broken God's moral law with someone, you owe them because you have taken something from them when you sinned against them. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray to to ask God to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But you're in an even deeper debt to God. Because everything you have is a gift from God. And Yet how many times have we been ungrateful, unthankful, uh, rebellious, unrepentant? I mean, God says thou shalt, thou shalt not. We do just the opposite. We are in deep, deep debt to God. Colossians 2. We owe a debt because we've broken God's laws. That debt listed all the rules we failed to follow. But God forgave our debt, and he canceled our debt by nailing it to the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, he's saying, it's paid in full. You don't have to die for your sin anymore, because Jesus Christ paid the debt. For you on the cross. He canceled your debts. Imagine if tomorrow morning you, know, you get a call from American Express or Visa or MasterCard or probably all three, and they say, hey, your debts are paid. It's wiped out. Somebody paid it for you. How would you feel about that? Well, that's what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross with the sin debt that you owe to everyone else and that you owe to God. He wiped it out. In the Old Testament, when people were sorry for their sins, they showed it by bringing animals to the temple to be sacrificed. They would kill the animal and they would uh, use its blood as an offering to God to cover over the sin. The, The blood of the animals didn't pay for your sin. It just covered it over until the blood of Jesus Christ was shed on the cross and it paid for it. But now that Christ has died... There's no need to offer any more animal sacrifices. That's why you didn't bring a sheep or a goat with you to church today. I hope. Okay? Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for everything you've ever done wrong. And yet, some of us still feel guilty over something we've done wrong. We've asked God to forgive us, but we don't feel like He's forgiven us. And so we keep trying to pay for our sin. If I just do more good things, if I just go to church, if I just give more, if I just pray harder, and you're trying to pay off your sin, but it's already been paid. You know, Jesus Christ's sacrifice, it was final, it was complete, it's finished. To tell us die, there's nothing you can do to pay for your sins because it's already been paid for. An elderly woman walked into her insurance company, and she said, my husband died five years ago, and I need to tell you, I can't afford to keep paying his life insurance premiums. And so I've got to stop paying his premiums. And and we laughed, but I mean, how tragic is that? The insurance company said, ma'am, you don't have to keep paying. He died, now you get the benefit. And you know, we laugh at her, but how many of us are doing the same thing? Jesus Christ died. He paid for your sin. Stop paying for it. Receive the benefit. Receive the benefit. One other use for the word telestai: It was used as a battle cry for armies when they'd won the battle. At the end of the battle, when they defeated the enemy, the soldiers would yell, "Telestai! we've won. The victory is ours. And on the cross, Jesus Christ defeated the fear of death. Fear of death is universal. Everybody's got some fear of death. Everybody. But Jesus broke that power and it is finished with a battle cry. It was a shout of a victorious conqueror who has defeated death. He he proved you don't have to be afraid of death because he came back to life. Jesus Christ, he, Jesus Christ wasn't just resurrected. He is the resurrection. He is the life. You believe in Him. Death's not the end for you. You don't have to be afraid of death. Romans five seventeen: The sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Adam got us into this mess. Jesus Christ got it out of a triumph over sin and death. Hebrews 2:14. Jesus became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Devil and the death are in sync. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. When I was a young man of 18, I had a tremendous fear of death. My mother had an unhealthy fear of death, and she passed that on to me. And I, I, I was terrified of dying. Because I didn't know what happened when you died. I mean, it, it, you know, is, is, it, is, it, is there an afterlife? Is Their torment and darkness, is it just the end? And I didn't didn't know what happened, and so I was terrified of it. And then somebody told me that Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life. And I'm thinking, eternal life, That's, that's the opposite of death. I'm into that. I want that. Christ defeated the fear of death when he said, it is finished. You know what the symbol is that you don't have to fear death? The symbol is baptism. Baptism. You look in the Bible, baptism is all about burial and resurrection. In baptism, we are buried with Christ, and in baptism, we are raised with Christ. That's why we baptize by immersion here, because, I mean, well, because the Bible says to, but also because of the picture that it gives. You know, you, you put people all the way under the water, and you bring them back up. It's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection, It's the symbol, I've died to my old way of life and I'm being raised to a brand new life in Christ. And so, We're going to be baptizing next week and you can sign up for that on the communication card. I'd encourage you. If you've trusted in Christ and you've never been baptized by immersion, baby, you need to get in the tank. (laughs) I mean, it is is a glorious sign of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You're buried to that old way of life. It's gone and you are raised to walk in newness of life. I mean, what a delight. What a symbol God has given us. Of, of the fact that I'm not afraid of death anymore. I've got eternal life. Fifth thing, Jesus finished on the cross. Number five, he destroyed Satan's power to control me. On the cross, there, there was a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that was raging between God and Satan. And from a human standpoint, you look at Jesus Christ, beaten bloodied, dead on the cross. And it looks like Satan won. But God had a bigger perspective. And Satan had no idea what was going on in that moment. Jesus died on the cross and Satan thought, I have killed the Savior of the world. I'm taking all these people to hell with me. That's what he thought had happened. I mean, the audacity, the foolishness to think you're going to fight with God and win... Because three days later, Jesus Christ rose rose from the dead. And one of the things that Christ did on the cross was he destroyed Satan's power. When Jesus said, it is finished, Satan should have said, I'm finished. Because his days are numbered. Now, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you are defenseless against the devil. I mean, he can whip slap you around all he wants. You have no power of your own. If you don't have Christ in your life, you have zero power, zero defense, zero armor against Satan. And he can manipulate your emotions. He can play with your mind. He can get you addicted to all kinds of stuff. He's got all the power. You are powerless if you don't have Christ in your life. And Satan's favorite tools are temptation and condemnation. And the way he uses temptation is he minimizes the consequences. He'll come with a temptation and say, well, this is no big deal. Everybody does it. You won't get caught. You know better than God what would make you happy. You deserve this. And he, he minimizes the consequences. And then once you take the bait, once you have committed the sin, he maximizes the consequences. I mean, once you sin, whoa, what are you thinking? God can't use somebody who's done that. God doesn't even love people who do that. You're the most despicable, worthless person I've ever seen. And so in temptation, he minimizes the consequences. And then after you do it, he maximizes the condemnation. And on the cross, Jesus Christ said, it is finished. We're done with that. We're done. He defeated temptation and condemnation. Colossians one thirteen. God has freed us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son. You're thinking, well, if God has freed us from the power of darkness, why does Satan seem like he's so powerful? And the best illustration I, I could think of is a little gory, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you know, I grew up on a farm. And and we raised chickens on the farm, and 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 we raised chick. We didn't raise chickens like people raise chickens today. You know, they raise them like pets, and they hug them and squeeze them and put little clothes on them. And and if you want to do that, that's fine. But when we raised chickens, we raised them for the eggs, and then we raised a bunch of them to butcher and eat because they taste a little bit like rattlesnake. (laughs) So, and and as a kid, chicken killing time was really exciting. Because when you chop the head off of a chicken, it'll run around the yard for three or four minutes uh, with its head cut off. That's where you get the phrase, running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Because the chicken is dead, it just doesn't know it. Okay? That's the condition Satan is in. On the cross, Jesus Christ whacked off his head. and he, That's right. And right now, he, he's dead, he doesn't know it. And if you have Jesus Christ in your life, Satan has zero power over you except for the areas where you give him power. And when you choose to give in to temptation and when you choose to hang on to resentment, when you choose to carry guilt, when you worry, when you're afraid, you have have given Satan a foothold. You have given him power in your life. But otherwise, he can't touch you. If you don't give him the power, he has no power. Now, if you don't have Christ in your life, you're fair game. You are wide open. He can do whatever he wants. And and not only does he use temptation, he uses condemnation. But Colossians 2.15, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And he openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. So, before I sin, Satan says it's no big deal. After I sin, he tries to make a big deal out of it. But his accusations won't stick. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid for my sin on the cross. Satan can't manipulate me anymore because when you trust in Christ, you've been forgiven. And so Satan accuses you of committing a sin, and Jesus Christ just steps in and says, Ha 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 ha, to tell us it's paid for. I satisfied justice. You have no power here with that condemnation. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Difference can be summed up in two words. Do or done. And every other religion in the world says do, do, do. You got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that if you're going to be right with God. And Christianity says it's done. It's done. To it is finished. Philippians 1 6. You can be certain of this. God who began his good work within you will continue his work in you until it is finally what? Finished. finished. On that day when Jesus Christ comes back again. Is there anything in there about you doing something? No. It's all about him doing something. It's all about his work. Because on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. D.L. Moody, great preacher in the 1800s, a man came up to him and said, I just want to know what I have to do to get into heaven. And Moody said, I'm sorry, you're too late. And the guy said, what? And he said, I'm sorry, you're too late. It was all done 2,000 years ago. You just need to accept it. You can't do anything to get into heaven. All you can do is accept what Jesus Christ did. Ephesians 2 8. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. That's your option. Do or done. And you just need to make the decision. Let's pray together. Would you just pray in your own heart and mind? Would you just say, Jesus, thank you that you did it all. You did everything that I need to get done, to get into heaven, to be forgiven, to have a purpose for living right here. You did it all, and I thank you that it is finished. You fulfilled the promises of God, you satisfied the justice of God, you defeated the fear of death, you paid off my debt, you destroyed Satan's power to manipulate me. And God, I, I just want to live in those truths for the rest of my life. If you're here today and you've never invited Christ into your life, what an amazing time to do so. Right here, right now, in this moment, you can just say, Jesus Christ, I need a Savior. I've broken your law. And I need, I, I've got a fine to pay. I've got consequences to bear, and, I, and I, I can't do it. And so I need you to come into my life and forgive my sins. and Bind up my wounds and give me healing. I need you to give me that new Abundant, eternal life that you promise to people who believe in you. And So Jesus, today, I accept what you've done for me. And I trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.